I want to bring a message this morning entitled, When Someone You Love is Hurting. And I know that every one of us in this very room understand hurt, understand times that our hearts are heavy and we have that burden and we just don't know how to lay it down. Or we know someone who has gone through an unexpected course of events, maybe through uh, work events, death, tragedy, so forth. And they find themselves in a hurting situation, and we care, and our hearts are burdened for them because we hurt with them, uh, and we love them so. And we would like to just remove that hurt from them so that they can smile again, but it's not that easy. And so it comes to a point where you and I must understand that each and every person on their journey in life has to get to that point to where they surrender that hurt to God and they find that there is joy in the midst of tragedy, there's joy in the midst of pain, there's joy in the midst of confusion, and there's joy in the midst of trying to figure life out. And yet at the same time, still, there's a hurting inwardness uh, within us. Jesus always brought restoration to broken lives. Jesus always knew what to do uh, to bring about um, uh, a life situation, to turn it around and to turn it about differently uh, in whatever that person was facing. Just as the demon-possessed man of generises was restored, others all throughout Scripture, one right after another, is restored. And then we get to a character in the book of Philemon. The Philemon is a book that's nestled in there, right before the book of Hebrews, uh, right after the book of Titus, and, uh, and you find it. Just You can flip the pages of Scripture and bypass it. Back on March of uh, 5th, I think, of 2018, I presented a message to you, different slant, uh, basically on this same book. And yet I, I looked at it again, and I want to bring a different twist to something that I, that I saw after reading it later on, and uh, it came out to me uh, a little bit differently as I look at the entire book of Philemon. Yes, you may be confused. There's not a chapter before that because Philemon is basically a love letter uh, written from Paul to Philemon. It's just like a postcard experience. Just a little few notes given, and he's, he's, he's got a powerful message in there because there is one inside this book of Philemon or this letter to Philemon. Uh, Onesimus is a person who needs help, is a person that's hurting, and a person that Paul sees differently. And Paul says, with all my heart, I'm writing to you, Philemon, to take a different approach to, to that slave of yours who has run away, and I want you to receive him back, and I want you to present to him grace, and I want you to be a channel of grace beyond your imagination, and I want you to help this one person get back on their feet and to be loved again. And so Onesimus is at a pivotal point in his life, and he runs away from Philemon, his slave owner. Now, I know you're talking about slaves, it's a little different, we'll get into that in just a moment, but he runs away from Philemon, his master, and he runs and he finds himself in the presence of Paul, and in, the, in being in his presence, basically what happens is Onesimus comes to know Christ, and Paul sticks his chest out. And he says, I got your back, buddy. And I see that you're a new person. And you're a, you're a 
dynamically changed individual. But one thing I'm going to have to do is I need, to, I need you to go back to where you were. And I need you to make a difference where you were. And in order to do that, I'm going to write a letter on your behalf to your owner. And I'm going to ask him to do something that's beyond his, his, his capabilities. I'm going to ask him to do something he never dreamed of doing. And that is to be a channel of grace to you. And he's going to help you to become the person you were desired to be. And so he leaves it in God's hands as he writes this letter to Philemon. Everybody needs that type of help when they're hurting. They don't need us to point our finger and try to figure out why they're hurting or to even say you're the reason why that hurt is there. They just need help now to get through the hurting and to recognize where they need to be. Hurting people penetrate all walks of life. There are those people we characterize as people who've hit the bottom or people who've made a mistake or a people, a person who's took a wrong turn in life. Their offense can range from minor to the greatest. It can be private or it can become public. Some experience marital separation that brings about hurt or divorce that brings about hurt. Others lose their jobs, take pay cuts. Others are entangled in all sorts of problems. Still others lie and cheat and get caught in illegal activity. Others are hurting not because of something they've done personally, but because circumstances have changed in their life. And yet a company merger takes over and you're out of that merger. Or a church split happens and you're confused. Still others are hurt because they become entangled in the, right, the wrong sort of situations in life and through acquaintances. So I ask you this question, and I'm sure you could say, yes, you do. Do you know any hurting people? We all do. In fact, we could even change that question, are you hurting today? Is there something happening in your life that you're hurting today? Well, I hope that, it, that if, if you are, I hope that you will hear a little bit, a message a little bit different that will open your arms and your heart and your eyes to what God can provide for you in the midst of that hurt and give you a little, little dose of help. It could be hurting spouses, it could be children, it could be grandchildren, it could be neighbors, it could be friends, it could be ministers, it could be leaders. No one is... is, is you know, everyone is susceptible to hurt. No one is exempt. And so let me talk to you about understanding hurting people. And I'm going to talk to you about two things. First of all is the portrait of a hurting person. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter about a hurting person. This letter is only a private letter that we have that Paul has written. All the others are epistles or letters that's written to be to given to, the, to, to, to the, the group, the majority, the church. But this is the only letter that Paul wrote that is actually addressed as a personal letter to just one person. Have you ever realized that in Scripture? So it's a personal note. It's about, like he took a little postcard and he says, Hey, I, I'm, I'm here <laughs> showing off his, his extravagant living or his vacation spot. And he says, I'm here, and by the way, I've got something I need to ask of you. 
and he writes that little personal note. We can sum up what this book is about by mentioning three names. And the three characters of the book are Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. That's the three characters. And yet Paul was the apostle, the author of the letter. Philemon was the Christian slave owner who, who, who in his present day uh, had a very close friend, and his name was Paul. So Paul and Philemon were familiar with one another. Perhaps Paul personally may have led Philemon to Christ. We don't know. But we do know that the, the church at, that Philemon was at met in his home. And so he's a respected leader uh, in his community. And then you've got Onesimus, a runaway slave, who came to Rome where he met Paul, who led him to Christ. Is it possible, though, that we, we cannot be certain that, that he met Paul through friendship with Philemon? We don't know why did he go to Rome, etc. But the, the, the fact remains is that Philemon and Paul meet each other in Rome. This may explain why, why you know, he, he sought Paul out if, if he knew him a little bit. But either though, Onesimus came to Christ, he stays in Rome, and he begins to serve Paul with gratitude. And this brings us to the central issue of the letter. Now, Paul has a converted slave in his midst. Now, what should he do? He decided to send Onesimus back to Philemon, his master. But Onesimus was now a believer in Christ. He left as a rebel, but he's returning as a brother. And so the, part, the point is, Philemon's caught in the middle. What is he going to do with this runaway, deserting slave of his? Well, before we continue, we need to know something about slavery in the first century. Although slavery was occasionally practiced in Israel, it was not widespread. It was not the common practice among the Israelites. But it was a common practice among the Romans. In fact, the Romans established Rome because of slaves. It's not un, un, uncommon for one person to govern 10,000 slaves in Rome. In fact, there was more uh, slaves in population in Rome than it actually was citizens of Rome during that time. So it wasn't a common practice in Israel, but it was allowed. And it was under Levitical law, how you treat your slaves, and etc. So, yet Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon. Why is this? The central question of that book is how could he do that? Didn't Paul know that slavery was wrong in the eyes of God? And if he knew that, why would he say and send Onesimus back? These are the questions that trouble, troubles many people in trying to interpret some of those things. But you've got to look beyond that and look to the intent of the letter and what God's message is from Paul to Philemon and about Onesimus, and then how does that message, that inspired word in printed form, is applicable to your life and mine? What can we learn in this letter that will help us to be a better person for the Lord God in our daily life? So we understand this portrait of a hurting person. Here is Onesimus not knowing what to do in life. Here is a man who's got to, to reconcile his past and go back and face the repercussions. Here's a man who has to stand before his owner and admit wrong. Or is this a man who keeps on running and he lives free in Christ? 
And so here is the portrait of a hurting person, a person that needs to go back to restoration, freedom, and find freedom in the midst of that restoration in all that he says and does. All right, the second thing in understanding hurting, a hurting person is the practice of healing. And this is where it gets good. This is where the meat comes off the bone, and this is where you and I uh, take off our gloves and we roll up our sleeves and we get dirty with the person who's hurting. This is where it becomes real. This is where we flesh out the Christ in everyday life. This is where we become the Paul to Onesimus and we become the Philemon to Onesimus. This is where we also begin to love in the midst of hurting. And so how do you and I love the hurting? A very practical question, isn't it? How do you and I love the hurting? This is the application. This is how we are to do that in the midst of the person who is hurting. The first and immediate action that's needed for you and I is, first of all, to be a friend. To be a friend. You say, well, that's nothing profound. We understand that. Yep, I understand that as well. But being a friend is not just a person who picks up the phone and says, hey, I love you and I'm praying for you. Call me if you need me. A friend is one who says, if I have to pack my bags at my house and move in with you and travel with you for the next 20 years so that you can understand that you are loved by God, then I want to be that friend. Now, that's difficult, isn't it? That's a person who says, I will give up my portion of my life in order for our friendship to be so strong so that you can rise above your hurting. And if it takes 20 years, I'm going to be with you. Being a friend is described in many ways as ones that not only knows about us, but loves us even though they know everything about us. A friend steps in when the whole world steps out. A friend is the one who never gets in the way except when you are on the way downward. A group of teenagers were asked to define friendship. One of the students wrote, Friendship is knowing there will always be someone around to lift you up when others let you down. You know, when you read those words, it should bring tears to our eyes because, you know, in in seeing that little excerpt, Three months later, that one friend who made that definition had been arrested for shoplifting. It was a prank. They were just trying to, to, to socialize it on social media just to do a prank. You've seen those sorts of things. But, you know, pranks can be serious. And it was wrong, and she knew it. When word about her misdemeanor reached school, All her so-called friends rejected her. They would have nothing to do with her. And as a part of her sentence, she was to get counseling, and she could do it through her local church with a youth pastor or a minister as long as they fill out the forms and and follow the protocol and you send back uh, the information to the state authorities that goes on. Well, since her family had visited the local church, they went to that local pastor. They made an appointment with the pastor. They talked. She realized the error of her way. She also shared with him the hurt of all her, from all her friends from the rejection that she had had ever since she did what she had done. 
there she found a supportive and caring community within the church. As she began to go to the church and disassociated with those she called friends and now started associating with a new group of people calling themselves friends. And she found out that they were there willing to lift her up when others were tearing her down. Well, that's exactly what Paul was asking Philemon to do in reference to Onesimus. Philemon had been a friend to Paul, and he says in verse 1 to Philemon, our dear friend. Now let's look at this various book. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker. Now jump down to verse 4. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers because I hear of your love and faith toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Now, he really buttered him up, didn't he? He buttered him up and stuck him in the oven. He's turned into a big old pile of yeast. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right. I appeal instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child whom I fathered while in chains, Onesimus. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful to both you and me. I am sending him a part of myself back to you. I want you to keep him with me. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation but of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. This is especially so to me, but even more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, accept him as you would me. Now, he changed the course of that letter, didn't he? He says, Philemon, you're a great guy. You've done great work. You've got a great reputation. You're respected, you're admired, and you're serving God, and you're riding it high. If you're on top of a wave, you're on an eternal wave, and it's not going to end. You are doing a wonderful thing. He says, but I do have to ask you to do one thing difficult. I know that you're mad at one guy who left you. I know that you're probably a little bit upset that you were deserted. I'm sure you feel shafted that he has deserted you, and I've got him with me. His name is Onesimus. But I'm going to tell you something, Philemon. Something's happened to him while being in Rome that's changed his life. He's given his heart to Christ. And he is a new man. He is now a missionary on fire. And if you think your wave is high, he's riding it higher. And I love him dearly. And he served me well. 
And so, because I know you, Philemon, and you're so well-respected and you love the Lord with all your heart, I'm going to ask you to do something beyond your imagination. I'm going to ask you to forgive him. I'm going to ask you to receive him. And I'm going to ask you to restore him. Because this Onesimus guy here has been hurting ever since he left you. God's met him right where he's hurt, and he's provided healing. And I, I know you might be hurting as well, a little confused and maybe a little mad, but I'm going to ask you to forgo all that emotion and be the Christ to Onesimus and receive him back. And restore him, not as a slave, but as a dearly beloved brother. So he can be useful to you and me in the furthering of this gospel message. Now that's a powerful thing that Paul's asking Philemon to do. That's someone who says, you know, I've given up on my child. I've raised her right. I've raised him right. I've given up on my child, and I'm tired of them taking my money. I'm tired of the drugs. I'm tired of the alcohol. I'm tired of the arguing. I'm tired of their attitude. I am through with them, and I don't want to have anything else to do with them, and they're gone. Someone knocks on your door with the child's hand in their hand, who's no longer a child but an adult, and says, here, receive him back. I know you hurt him, but they're hurting too. And restore them. Forgive them. And help them in the process of their hurt to rise above. That's being a friend. That's tough work. That's rolling up the sleeves and never wanting to roll them back down again. That's getting dirty. That's getting in the trenches. That's getting right there, right with someone right where they're at. And so Paul says, I'm a friend to you, Philemon, and you're a friend to me. But there's also somebody in the middle that needs friendship as well. And so I'm asking you to be a friend to Onesimus. He's really a great guy. Don't pay attention to what he's done in the past. He's a new person in Christ. Perhaps this is why he was separated from you, he says, for a brief time, so that he, that you might get him back permanently. He said, you're, no, you're not getting back half of a man. You're getting back a whole man. You're getting back a person who has a total no motivation in life, who has a total different fire within him. You're getting back a new person that has stood before Christ and is now free in Christ. You're getting back a person that is, that is 100% different than when he left you. And what does friends do? A friend refreshes the wounded. Philemon has that gift, and Paul says to him, For I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Fleming, you've got it in you. You've got it in you to provide refreshment to Onesimus. It is in your DNA to do the same thing you've been doing to all the saints, to do it right there for Onesimus. It is within your capabilities to provide so much refreshment that it will change your life and it will better his life. And so I'm asking you, to be the friend of refreshment to Onesimus. I mean, what a, what a powerful letter. He's appealing to Philemon to do something greater.
than beyond his imagination. A friend comes along, the hurting individual, and they offer support, they offer encouragement. They help the struggler by assisting them and by comforting them. They lighten their load of that burden. They lighten their load of that pain. They bring refreshment like the ice-cold glass of water on a scorching hot day. They remind the wounded that there is hope and there is God. You see, you and I must be a refreshing friend if we want to help people in this world. So you and I need to be a friend, but there's also another aspect of how you and I can love the hurting is the hardest part of all. I think being a friend is easy compared to the next thing. And number two is be a forgiver. So not only be a friend, but be a forgiver. Hard to do when you've been wronged over and over and over again. Or you've been stolen from over and over and over again. It's hard when you've been slapped over and over and over again, figuratively. It's hard to forgive a person who continually wrongs you. It's hard to forgive someone who's left you shafted. It's hard to forgive someone who's deserted you. It's hard to forgive someone who's no longer considered a person you can count on. And Paul says to Philemon, I know you've been deserted. I know you're mad. I know you don't have trust in him anymore. And I know you don't see him like I see him. But I'm asking you to forgive him, to refresh him and to restore him, not as a slave, but as a dearly beloved brother. To be a friend and to be a forgiver. So how you and I can hurt, help someone who's hurting, we can also be the extension of forgiveness. Jonah, the one who disobeyed God, he lit out on his own course, was, all, was given another chance. Peter, the one who denied Jesus, was later reinstated for service in the master, for the master's business. It was Paul, the one who attacked and, and persecuted the Christian community, was granted a new lease on life after his, his claim of Christ, and Christ changed his life. Now Paul was asking Philemon to grant Onesimus a second chance. I'm sending him he says, as a part of myself, <laughs> back to you. Accept him as you would me, Philemon. I mean, that's, that's where it's getting right there, where, where Philemon is having to swallow his pride and take the hit and realize that he's been wronged and to take it, and to take it like a man. Realizing, yes, a mistake's a mistake, wrong is wrong, we're not condoning that behavior, but yet recognizing that he's met Christ and he's got a new lease on life and he's a new person, and so don't hold him captive to his past, but help him to launch forward to his future. And he's in your hands. He deserves a second chance, believe me. Roy Regals played football. I've shared this story a couple of times before in the past. But he, he played football for the, Cal, for the uh, University of California. In 1929, it was the Rose Bowl, he picked up a fumble, he spun around in his excitement, and then headed for the end zone. The problem was, it was the opponent's end zone. 
he would have scored if the you know for the opponents if he had not been tackled by his own man on his own team on the one yard line, and the game would have been a total different outcome. This happened just before halftime, and at the intermission, the California players silently filed into the dressing room, found their places and sitting on the benches, you know, and except for Roy. Roy kind of moved himself from the team. He wrapped a blanket around his head, you know, sagging all the way to the floor, put his face down, hands in his face, you know, and, and he's, he's crying. Coaches generally have a lot to say during intermission, especially about mistakes made so that they can improve them and be a better team in the second half. Finally, the timekeeper comes in and announces three minutes to the beginning of the half, so the team has to rustle themselves up, get back out there, go through their little, little bit of a drill to get ready for the start of the second half. Coach Price looked at his team and glanced over at Regals, and he said, men, the same team that played, and start, played the first half and started the first half is the same team that's going to play and start the second half. And quickly, the doors opened, all of them piled out except for Regals. He didn't budge. The coach looked back and called him again. Regals still didn't move. Coach Price walked slowly over to his corner, looked down and softly said to Roy, he says, Roy, didn't you hear me? The same team that played the first half is going to play again and start the second half. Roy Regals lifted up his head. His eyes were red, his cheeks wet. Coach, he said, I can't do that. I've embarrassed you. I've embarrassed the team. I've embarrassed myself. I've embarrassed the fans. I can't face that stadium any longer. Coach Price reached out his hand, put his hand on his, his shoulder, and he said, Roy, get up and go back. The game is only half over. Prove to yourself, to the whole university, to me, to your team, that there is more life to be lived. Roy went back out on the field, and at the end of the game, all the opposing players and teams said afterwards they had never seen anyone play as hard as Roy Regals played in the second half. What does a forgiver do? A forgiver releases the sin. Now, I want you to do an exercise. All right, take, take your, hold your hand out and squeeze it as tight as you can. Now, hold on to that. Don't, don't let it go. Just hold it for just a moment. Hold on to your wrist. I mean, to your, your, your squeeze. So, a forgiver doesn't hold a record of wrong. A forgiver releases that sin. He lets it go. Doesn't harbor grudges. Forgets the mistake. Always allows the other person to get on with life. You still squeezing? You should start feeling it, getting white. You're seeing your knuckles get a little white, and you can feel it. You can feel it. You should be feeling it a little bit here as well. I keep squeezing. Forgiveness means that you cancel the debt in order to provide the opportunity of repentance, the opportunity for reconciliation. You feel the squeeze? Yeah, right. hang on, hang on. I'm going to let you go in just a moment. It is finding reconciliation in the midst of the broken relationship. What does Jesus do for us? And what does he do for others? Now release, slowly. Feel it? 
The blood comes back. Feels better, doesn't it? You see, this is what a hurting person does. They're, they're like this. They're so bound up that they don't know how to, to, to find release. But when a friend comes into their life and they become a forgiver, they help them to find release very slowly. And life comes back one second at a time. You see, how do I hurt? How do I help and love a hurting person? We forgive them. As hard as it is, and we restore them. And we help them to find reconciliation and have opportunity of repentance. And it's exactly what Jesus does for every person. Being a friend sustains the hurting one in that present. Being a forgiver wipes the slate clean of the past. But now the question is, what about the future? To love the hurting person, number three and last, we must also be a future giver. Not only a friend, not only a forgiver, but a future giver. Krista, uh, in a high school teacher, was killed in the Challenger explosion, had adopted as her motto, I touch the future, I teach. That statement is true of every teacher, whether it be in a structured classroom or not. That maxim also fits those people who want to bring health to wounded hearts. We touch their future by giving them a hope for tomorrow. We restore their dignity by acknowledging their importance. Onesimus was a runaway slave owned by Philemon who came to the company of Paul and as a result was converted to Christ. Now Paul sent Onesimus back to Philemon appealing for his acceptance and his forgiveness of Onesimus so that Onesimus' future was in Philemon's hands and Philemon had to make a choice. Am I going to help him be launched forward in his future or am I going to suppress him? By law, he could have had him executed. As a believer, he could restore him an exalted place of brotherhood. What would Philemon do? It's interesting to note that the name Onesimus means useful. Paul played on his name by saying inside that letter, once he was useless to me, he is now useful to both you and me. Paul knew that Onesimus had a great future, but that future was dependent upon Philemon's actions. Man, what responsibility Philemon had right there in his midst to make a decision. Am I going to ruin his future or am I going to help him in his future? It all depended now on Philemon. Onesimus was clean. Onesimus found help. Onesimus was back on the right page again and the right track. Onesimus was enjoying his ride and he was a new believer and he was all okay. And now he needed someone else to come alongside him to believe in him to help him launch himself forward to a greater future. So what did Philemon do? Unfortunately, we don't have a letter back from Philemon to Paul. 
So we, we have to presuppose some things as to what happened to Onesimus. In order to do that, you got to go back to the history writers. And in the history writers, later on, 50 years later in writings, uh, we find that there was some history recorded, and it's very interesting what happened to Onesimus. A church father by the name of Onesius, writing 50 years later a letter to the Ephesian church, addressed a wonderful minister, their bishop. And guess what his name was? Onesimus. And in this letter, he referred to Onesimus as the one who formerly was useful, useless to you, but now has become useful in the ministry. He used the very same Greek word that appears in verse 11 that Paul uses here to Philemon. So what does a future giver do? A future giver restores one's spirit. And Paul wrote to the Galatians, Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted also to do as they did. The word restore was used to describe the mending of a fisherman's net in order to be used for the next day. It communicates the idea of putting people back in workable, useful position. It reminds people how valuable they are to God and to society. So to be a future giver, that means we begin the hard work of mending the net of their life. And that future giver, it might take a day, it may take a year, it may take 20 years, but we're on course to mend the net and to help that be used in service. And so being a future giver says, I want to restore that person to the greatest of health that I can be responsible for in my life so that I cannot be one who held them back, but one who gave them a future. Jesus restored the woman at the well. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. A woman that was caught in adultery, and Jesus restored her. The woman with the withered hand, the demon-possessed man, Jesus restored those who believed. Restoring the spirit of an individual can do marvelous things for the future. It not only does great things for them, but it does great things for you and me. When Thomas Edison, this was a shocking story. You know, you don't think about the making of a light bulb, you know, because everything's done in mass form and everything is done in assembly line and can be produced in just a matter of minutes. But when Thomas Edison was developing the bulb, the first light bulb that he ever had in motion, to the astonishment of all the onlookers, he handed the first bulb to a young, uh, young boy. It says, now carry it up the stairs, and we're going to use it up there, and let's see how it works. On the way up the staircase, the boy dropped the bulb, and it shattered. Kaboom! 
And so what did they have to do? They had to go back to the drawing board and took 24 hours to make the next bulb. And at the end of that, he's got to get it back upstairs, screw it in to make sure it works. And so who's he going to give the bulb to? He looks to the same young boy. The gesture probably changed the boy's life. Edison knew that more than a bulb was at stake. So who do you know that needs a friend? Who do you know needs a friend? Who do you know needs a second chance or a new future? You know, when you think about the hurting people, you may be the person who can turn their life around by offering friendship and forgiveness and a hope-filled future. The letter of Philemon reminds us that Christianity has the power to heal the hurting hearts and repair the broken people, putting them back on their feet again. It instructs us that when given the chance, we are to participate in a revolutionary thing called grace and to become that channel of powerful grace from, from, from us to them, which becomes a flowing channel from God to us to them, so that they can understand their forgiveness, and so that they can be launched forward toward understanding the beautiful picture of reconciliation. We can stem the tide against cruelty and hatred by doing for others what Paul had asked Philemon to do for Onesimus. Will you be a friend by refreshing the wounded? Will you be a forgiver by releasing the sin and letting go of the grip so that they can be restored in their spirit? The beautiful letter that we have recorded in Scripture from Paul to Philemon on behalf of another. Paul's writing that same letter to you and to me. And he's saying the person in your life is hurting and they need a friend. I know it's beyond your capability of fault to know how you could help them any more than you've helped them. But to turn a deaf ear to them and a cold heart is surely not the door of opportunity. So he's asking you in that same letter, receive the Onesimus of your life and release them and let them go free. Will you do that today? It'll be great joy in your life if you do. You'll probably be like, I'm sure the... the the three, if they could have gotten together for a selfie, Onesimus would have been in the middle. And Paul and Philemon would have been right there with their arms around him smiling and saying, this is, this is, this is the Onesimus that we've helped make a difference in life. So let's create some good selfies. And let's do the job God's called us to do, be a channel of grace. Father, we thank you that you allow us the opportunity to be a friend to the friendless and to be help to the hurting and to be a love to the loveless. To be an minister, an ambassador of grace in the everyday world. 
to serve in a way that, that is beyond our own understanding and beyond even our capabilities. But because of who you are within us and the Christ that is real and alive, we pull from that strength and that wherewithal to be the Christ of love and help to those who need it. Father, thank you for saving us so that we can help others understand your saving grace and that we could be an administer of that grace to others so that they one day could stand with someone else in, in the course of life and be their own anisimus themselves, but to also be like the Philemon and the Pauls, to be the people who offer help to the hurting. Thank you, Father, for loving us and being our, our remedy and to be in our help in the midst of our spiritual condition so that we could rise above it and live to the fullness of life, the abundant life that you so freely give. In your name that we pray, amen. My friend, we want to stand and sing a song of invitation, a song of affirmation. As we do, may we commit uh, that person, maybe God has placed on our heart this very day, who we know is hurting, commit it to God, and ask for God's strength and grace to administer that in their life. Or maybe you're hurting, and you need to come and just lay your hurt and cares at the altar and lay them down, come Come to Christ and give it to Him. Whatever your need is, let's give it to Him this day. So let's stand together. Let's sing.